This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders. In addition, I've written a book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are and you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. The paperback and ebook versions are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business and for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name, Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals, talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your every day. Without further ado, our guest this week, you hear a lot about trendsetters, innovators, someone that's willing to take chances, and at the end of the day, always finding ways to be successful. One that stands out to me and I'm excited to have as our next guest is Jeff Ionello, the Executive Vice President of Client Partnerships at SeatGeek. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Travis. Excited to uh, always chat with you. Now we're doing it over the airwaves, so appreciate the opportunity. Congrats, exactly. on, the, congrats on the podcast. I think it's great. No, thanks, Jeff, and certainly the new norm, and, and I'm very excited to have you and be able to really dive into your illustrious career. And I know you and I have talked a lot about, and certainly during the transition from the team and league side into that vendor tech space. So let's start there. You'd spent 13-plus years on the team and league side, which we'll dive into. And then you made the transition to SeatGeek, which at the time was not necessarily a household name. Why did you make the move? It was, it was pretty simple from my point of view. It was to make a difference. So when I, when I was going through the process, I was at the NBA Teambo, your former, your former gig as well. And, um, and, you know, I was approached by a friend who had me meet the SeatGeek founders. And I had always looked at the space and said, this doesn't really align with what I believe in as far as industry best practices. I, I felt like, and my observation was in talking to others, that when you looked around at all the inspirational technology that was engulfing our life, ticketing technology fell woefully short, and there was a desire for more. The real question to me was with the, political headwinds and the resistance to change in the space, 
what company was going to be able to come along that could do that. And the company needed to have a, a couple pieces that, that made sense for me to, for me to pass it along the diligence path. And that was, you know, candidly the amount of resources and funding to be able to actually invest in the business and make, and make a difference. And SeatGeek had that. And then the DNA and, and from DNA, I mean, actual technologists, not companies when other businesses who look at ticketing as a great piece of flywheel, but actually people that were in, in technology that could, that could create and continue to build a software that can match the software and the other pieces of, of life that we interact with every day. And when I went through it, it became a decision of, okay, why would I not do this? And everything that was going through my mind was fear-based. And I, I just didn't want to look back 20 years, um, 20 years from now and say, what if my, my belief was we could do something great, give back to an industry that I'd spent my entire career in and whether it was successful or failure uh, or, or failure, not taking that shot was uh, and thinking what if was a worse outcome for me. No, absolutely. And we'll certainly talk about taking chances and risk. And you know, so Jeff, what does your day-to-day look like you know, now at, at SeatGeek? You're, you're looking at it. I'm trapped in this room for like nine hours. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, so it's, it's very interesting. It's, um, so it, I'm very client-facing, very prospect-facing. All of the, the noteworthy North American enterprise ticketing deals we've done in the primary space, you know, I lead the sales process for all those, and I manage a small team that, that goes after um, clients that are, that are a little smaller than the big ones, but still in our enterprise space and in other verticals. And I manage, I manage those individuals as well. So it's, it's very in, engulfed in our, in our sales process and in storytelling and in following up with clients. It's very traditional selling at its very, very basic core. The sales process looks a lot different than the one we grew up in right. on the team side of the business, but it's sales at its very, very basic level. When you look at what I'm doing day to day, pre pandemic, it was very heavy travel. Now it's, it's very heavy video meeting and, you know, I, I try to, to spend most of my time on activities that are, that are prospect facing. I think it's very easy when you become more senior and have more responsibility to move away from things that are what I would call the most important things, things that drive revenue for the business ultimately and gain, and gain sales and partnerships. And those are internal meetings, strategic initiatives. They're important, but they should be the 20%, not the 80%. And many times it gets flipped around flipped around. And that's what I've always appreciated about you. And, and I think certainly a, a lot of us that appreciate about a lot of great leaders, they're willing to roll up their sleeves. They're diving in, they're getting in the X's and O's of the business, which is key. And especially when you talk about the revenue generation part. And so, so Jeff, you've been at SeatGeek over five years now, and it certainly, you know, has helped make that, that brand a household name. What are some of the biggest surprises you've seen, you know, kind of on that side of the table? It's not a straight line. I mean, you, you, you know, when it, what it looks like from the outside, it's way bumpier always from the inside. And there's, I mean, there's so many books that have been written on this and, and podcasts out there about companies that start at a small place with very few employees and then they end up at this place and you, you, you see the, you see the result, but you don't see what goes into it every single day. Yeah. Um, you're, you're looking at an industry that in the United States is not had very many change. It's got a couple of quasi-monopolies internally, and um, it's very, really, really difficult. And there's been, you know, other what I would call failed states that have come along to try to to dethrone the king, and it's been unsuccessful. So you could say from the outside that you know we've done we we've done all of these great things, but we're still at a very, very early stage here. 
we still have to be able to prove our value on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, I also think that that grit and that determination and self-awareness of where you are as a business fuels the employees that are internally and fuels me. And understanding that what you're doing is for ultimately the greater good of the business, however it works out, that that makes it worth it day-to-day. And I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, when we talk a lot about there's a ton of similarities, both being on the team side or in that, that vendor and tech space. And you, you mentioned their value, right? The value proposition that we're providing, whether you're on the tech end or on, on the team side, you've always got to, to focus on value proposition. Yeah, and I, listen, I think the second, the second learning here is that, you know, in the business, when you grow up on the team side and the league side, you know, and you come over on the vendor side, you, you really find out, you know, who the show ponies are and who the thoroughbreds are. There's, there's a lot of people around the industry and a lot of organizations that put up a, a persona and, and talk about being innovative and creative. But when you actually have an objective, objective way to do so, they're trying to do it with the least risk possible. And, yep. you know, there's political reasons and there's, there's things that don't actually in practice. So you really find out, you know, who actually wants to, wants to, wants to do it in practice and who doesn't. You also find out, you know, candidly, there's there's definitely some folks that when I was on the team and, and lead side would be begging to talk to me. And then when you go over to the other side, you find out they don't take your call real quick. So right. I, think, I think you find out a lot about people's characters. You find out a lot about your own character and, and you learn um, you learn, you know, the right right things from the wrong things. You try to you try to teach your kids that you try to teach other people that are younger in the business, those things. And um, and you try to be a better person. And a better and a better leader and a better executive from from seeing how others from from the good and and the bad react to you when you when you make a big move. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm sure, Jeff, the next obvious question I'm sure you hear all the time: What do you miss most about being on the team side? There's just an overwhelming uh, um, sense of camaraderie over this common goal. Even though the the game is being played on the field of competition, whether that's a court, an ice rink, right. whatever. Um, and you're on the business side of that. There's a there's a sense of camaraderie and community that you're pushing in one direction. There's this result on it, right? And it's it's not always winning and losing, of course, but it's this sense that you're pulling in the right direction. When you move over to to this side, there's a detachment from that, especially if you're remote, if you're in different offices around the world, if you're moving around, you're you know you're not you don't have that sense of community or camaraderie that you do in a city. And with a with an organization like that, now I miss that the most. One of the things I loved about being on the team side was having a, a more junior staff to mentor somebody who was in your your shoes, so to speak, when you started out in the business. Yep. You get that to an extent here, but you don't replicate that 40, 50 person teams that you had in different departments when you were on the team side. So those are all things that I miss. Um, you know, at some point in the future, there's probably a small chance I would go back and do it. But I've been fortunate. You know, whether it was the team side or Teambo, which is it's you know it's a small group within a, a large league, that was great. You know, I love that job, love this job. I've had three really good segments of my career, and they're all they've all been great. You know, that they've, they've been imperfect each one of them. I don't think there is a perfect, no. but I've appreciated all of them, and I've been fortunate that I've found joy in every single one of them. Yeah, and we'll certainly dive into each of those individually. And you know, I think Jeff, something that I've always you know really respected of you is you you were always willing to take those risks, but knowing that they're very calculated risks, and you're also going to be innovative with that piece of it. And so, what advice do you have for the listeners that may help them be more innovative or willing to put themselves out there in this selling environment? 
You know, it's interesting. The um, this there's I've heard this a lot. Like me with this this big risk, and you know, I, I took a well, I would agree it was an untraditional path from where most people in my previous role had taken. I'm a, I, I believe I'm a super conservative person. I live my life <laughs> in an extremely conservative way. I believe have, having 13 years on the team and league side also is a you know with, with one or two spots has been a is, is a is a road less traveled for most who jump around every two three four years in our business. Um, you know, I, I vetted out the process over six or eight weeks. It, it checked the boxes, and that's what I would tell others. I would say, you know, this if if, if you have a list of, of things that you understand will make you happy and that what you're looking for in an opportunity, a boss, a career, financial, and that's part of a plan, life and career, and those, those should be one, really. Um, don't, you know, do your diligence. Don't make a fast decision. Don't make one for a shiny object, but if it checks the boxes for you, also don't be scared of it, right? You're, you're, you know, if it, you have this process to not chicken out at the end, right? It's, you know, it's something where you, you know, if you, if you believe in what you believe and you're, you're driven by purpose that, and, and you do, do, do really good diligence, that decision will become obvious one way or the other at the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's really focusing on those pros and cons, both personally and professionally. You know, and so, Jeff, in talking to you in the past, you've always felt sports teams could potentially embrace more of a remote work environment, and now we've had to go through that, you know, for some time now, and you even mentioned even your your time where you used to be on the planes and planes, trains, and automobiles. Now it's it's stuck in the office or, you know, in your home office. What do you think from both the vendor and the team side, what that new norm could be or what, what people, no matter what role they're in, should be looking at? Yeah, well, this is certainly an overcorrection. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, this, it's a forced overcorrection. I, my wife, who also travels, and, and me, we, we both travel a lot throughout the year and have been talking consistently about how we, we have a better balance with travel with two young kids. And the world then corrected that for us dramatically. It's been great. One of the best lessons for us has is, is been, wow, maybe we didn't need to go to that meeting or fly out there for a dinner or have that there's, there's certain efficiencies now that we're all comfortable with the technology that will make it better. If we choose to make it better afterwards, though, you cannot replace in my opinion, um, a face-to-face interaction. You can't, um, the going somewhere now will become more special and will become, I believe more appreciated on the other side. Now I believe there's probably some sort of a, if, if I was at a hundred and this is zero, which it, which it literally is, then I think there's somewhere in the you know 50 to 75 percent range that makes it that makes it better. I don't, I don't think it's 25 even. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's zero, but it brings some efficiency to the day to day. And people that weren't used to this type of video technology, probably executives that are maybe more in the 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 Gen X or Gen Y range, um, now have become forced to become comfortable with it, and it's really easy to do it. In fact, I think there's no excuse really to, to make a phone call. FaceTime, um, any one of these apps that you could just video somebody now. You know, I find myself doing that with family. Like, I'm not calling my mom or or my sister. I'm, I'm videoing with You're them. Right? That, yep. that in and of itself makes makes the phone call better from a from a um, internal um, team culture standpoint. And as you mentioned, I was pushing that. You learn from your own failures, your own mistakes, and that's probably too harsh of a way to do it. But that culture that was the best in class in 2004 or five, when you're 
literally and figuratively standing over people and you're on the sales floor and you're ringing the bell and you're pounding the phones, that was the best way then to get in touch with people. It's not right. the best and most efficient way now to get in touch with people. It was also probably the best way to monitor reps and monitor production and activity at that point with the tools that you're given. Now it's definitely unneeded. There's, you know, we have a remote sales force where I have five or six people literally in all different different places in the country. We have a great CRM system. We have free, really frequent daily stand-ups and meetings. We have very clear goals. We have great note-taking. They're accountable for their goals. And if you have that type of a culture, the activity tends to take care of itself. And if it doesn't, it's very objective from the ability with the ability to coach somebody out. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you can. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. We're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Jeff Ionello, Executive Vice President of Client Partnerships at SeatGeek. So, Jeff, you grow up in Port Chester, New York, attend UMass to study sports management. As you're growing up, what was an early job that you had that may have led you down this sports and sales path? Uh, caddying, delivering pizza, um, working in the back of a deli, shoveling snow in the neighborhood in the winter. You know, I, I was fortunate to grow up with um, with you know all the things that I needed um, in life, and, and having some supportive parents and, and other family members and friends friends, but I definitely didn't grow up with a ton of money. I grew up probably would be considered lower middle class. And if I wanted to, to drive an old Buick, I needed to pay the insurance for that when I was 16 years old. And if I wanted to go out and, and drink with my buddies in college, I needed to work on the weekends to have money to buy cheap beer, right? So yep, yep, you know, exactly. those, are, those are all things that, that I needed to do. And that instilled with me this idea of hard work and time management and the ability of what you put in, you can get out of it. And early on in my career, this 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 helped me out a lot when I was looking at um, sales as a profession. And I took a you know I took a a part time job my senior year of college in a, um, a telemarketing firm in the middle of Amherst, Massachusetts. You're going to find this insane from from what we do nowadays. The job of the firm was we were calling around the country to drive leads. We were producing leads that the firm would then sell to car insurance agencies. And it was a lead gen firm. And we were calling around Nebraska, Oklahoma, everywhere in the country. And we were getting information from individuals to qualify them. Moving violations, uh, date of birth, social security numbers. We were, producing, <laughs> we were gathering hundreds of social security numbers a day. Unheard of. Which no one can believe nowadays, and we were doing it. But the, the interesting thing was literally if you hit – a certain amount of leads in your shift, you got one extra dollar an hour of work that week. And that would add up over the course of time to, you know, 20, 30, 40, $50 week in, week out. There was a board. I liked being at the top of the board. I was good at it. I was able to be creative. When I moved to the team side of the business, I liked the competition, hustled more, 
studied more, found out that the work I put in, I was getting out and getting better on it. And those lessons, both growing up and then at that firm, and then the relationships I built in the department really got me off to a great start. And I think that's key is, you know, for any listener out there that, that still may be in college or even high school going into that is get as much experience as you can so you understand your career path when you come graduate. You know, there's so many people out there, I like, graduate, what do you want to do now? I, I don't know. I didn't really get, gain enough internship or job shadowing experience. And so, Jeff, along those lines, if you went back, you know, to your college self, what would, what would you have done differently or what would you wish you would have done to help better prepare yourself? Probably would have taken school a little bit more seriously early on, right? I mean, college was fun. I was social. Um, Sometimes probably a little too much, too social. Freshman and sophomore year. Got involved more with the department junior and senior year and built some great relationships with some professors there. One, specifically Dr. Jay Gladden, who I still keep in touch with. He's at IUPUI now as the, as the, um, the, the head of undergrad, the dean of undergraduate students. Just a great person. Um, I, I think that, that if you could use that time to develop better relationships and really fuel that relationships um, through, you know, basic things, showing up on time, volunteering for projects, being accountable, you're building your network up and you have now references for those people. Just because you go somewhere and you're a student doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to recommend you. You still have right. to build that connection and prove yourself day to day that you're a dependable reference. And then they will, they will then share their network with you. Absolutely. And so, Jeff, you spend your entirely, entire life in the Northeast, and once you graduate, you head down to New Orleans and start as an inside sales rep with the New Orleans Hornets. You know, so how did that job come about, and what were some key learnings from you, you know, that, that you gained early on in your career? Yeah, crazy. I still remember um, when I moved from, from Port Chester to post-college to New Orleans, my mom and I drove down in, like, my old beat-up Chevy or her old beat-up Chevy Malibu. It was crazy. I, I had a um, funny story. We, you know, I had, I had saved up and I had leased an Acura Integra, silver, nice little spoiler on it, drove it around my junior and senior year of college, I had one year left on the lease. It's a lot of miles driving down, so my mom and I decided that we would, we would switch cars. Switch cars, so okay. You have me in this old um, green Chevy Malibu that's breaking down, um, and then you have her going to her, her government job in this, like, Tinted out, spoiler, Acura <laughs> as a 60-year-old woman, right, in her town. Yep. So there's, there's some, we, we look back with, with, with humorously on that, on those images of her rolling up, playing the Beatles in this <laughs> sports car in, um, in, uh, in, in suburban New York. Um, and, you know, I got, a, of course, we got a speeding ticket in Alabama with the New York plates going down. So it's a, it's a funny, it's, a, it's kind of a funny story. It's a fun journey. Yeah, it was, it was great. It came about. Through that relationship with Dr. Jay Gladden, though, he said, "Hey, you're doing really well in this um, in this telemarketing job. You seem to really like it. There's there's these growing sales departments, and there's a professor that used to work here at UMass who you missed by a year or two. He's not the MBA. This guy, Bill Sutton. This guy, Dr. Bill Sutton. He's helping him and a group of people at the league are helping get a team to move from Charlotte Hornets to the New Orleans Hornets. No one's gonna." know what how that whole Charlotte New Orleans Hornets Pelicans thing worked, Bobcats thing worked in, in twenty years. Um right. and you know I talked to Dr. Bill, the sales leadership in New Orleans, and two weeks later I was taking the job and I was I was driving to um to, to New Orleans and starting my career. But it's through that relationship that you create and the trust you build 
that leads you to another recommendation. That's, you know, a very basic thing that I think can carry you through, through life, how, who you are and, and your character and how you act and how you activate that. You talk about culture, your own culture, your own internal culture and character, how you live that and, and, and act in that way every single day. That will, that will then carry through in your relationships and you will get, you will get recommendations from that going forward or not. Yep. Uh, I'm a firm believer. Good things happen to good people if you put yourself in a good position. And you certainly did that. And so, Jeff, you end up spending, you know, seven months there in New Orleans and you head to Phoenix, Arizona for an account executive job with the Phoenix Suns. And, you know, I'm sure at the time you probably had no idea you'd be there almost 11 years. But why was Phoenix the right move for you at that time? So at the time, I was just trying to get a full time job. I mean, it's it's so simple. You can glamorize these things looking back. But it's, it's also a little bit of luck playing in. Um, New Orleans was only going to promote one person, the top person in inside sales. I was number two on the board. Um, had proven that I was, I was account executive caliber, but was number yep. two on the board. So, again, relationships. I remember Dr. Bill Sutton sitting in my boss's office. We had agreed that, listen, I don't want to wait it out. I want, I want to grow my career, and I want to go to a great place. Dr. Bill called two teams. And he said, I have a, I remember exactly, I have a number one here. I have an A. Whoever calls back first gets to talk to him. He left both messages. Phoenix called back first. And there it was. Um, yeah, there it was. And I, was, I remember I remember this to the day. It was, it was John Walker and Drew Cloud. And, um, and they were running the sales staff at that point. They were trying to grow a culture that was merit-based. And it was an aggressive career growth-minded culture. And it really fit where I wanted to take my career and the people I wanted to work for. And it was part of a rebuild story under Rick Welts as the president in trying to build this, this shining light of a sales culture. Um, and, and, um, was fortunate to be there. And, and the lesson to me was looking back as you surround yourself with like-minded people who believe in growth and want to put that growth into you, whether it's skill set wise day to day. Um, and then that, that usually trickles down into more opportunities, promotion, money, you know, all of the, the other things that, that we look for in a young, in having a young career. Absolutely. And while in Phoenix, you go on to hold six different roles. You ended your time there as the senior vice president of sales and service. And, you know, Jeff, what do you think you were bringing to the table every day that not only helped you continue to grow, but also helped you get so many promotions in a short amount of time? I set the tempo. You know, I'm, I'm the ultimate. Um, I like to think to myself as the ultimate tempo setter. So I, I, I go at a fast pace. I hustle really, really hard. I believe I brought a vision of what we were trying to accomplish surrounding ourselves to do that when you have that goal-based mindset and you're setting the tempo of a, of a fast pace then um then people around you appreciate that if you're executing in the quote right way right an ethical way with with good intentions in mind and you're surrounding yourself by people who want to do that it ends up it ends up going well and when you have a culture where others around you are getting promoted people will take a shot at you to, to move up the ladder if you're a known commodity and having that internal known commodity helps me be that choice versus versus my bosses or the executives at that time going outside and making making an external hire. And that one thing I'm proud of there is is it was it all happened through three different presidents. So you had um, Rick Welch, you had Brad Casper, and you had Jason Rowley. And and I had I think four or five different bosses at that time period, and I. I appreciate and value the relationship with all of them, was able to be successful um, underneath all of them, and I take a lot of pride in that. 
No, absolutely. And you know, having that infectious positive attitude and you're just that willing to, to set the tone and set the pace every single day it goes a long way. And you then, after your time, you know, on the team side, you then go on to the NBA league office with Team Bo. Uh, certainly all of our loyal listeners certainly know what that is. We've had several guests, uh, you know, including the Dr. Suttons, the Bernie Mullins, the Luda Pollies, you know, of the world, uh, Raven Jemisons. And, you know, so as, as you're going through Team Bo, why was that ultimately the right move for you? You spent your time, you've really built up something very good with the culture and the people in Phoenix. You go to that league office. Yeah, it's, it's, it was always a purpose-driven move for me. It's, you know, and I, I love the job. I think I would still be there if, if the CQ opportunity didn't come along. For me, it was helping people and trying to have this idea where high tides raise all boats. And, and for me, making the industry better, making sales cultures better, learning other pieces of the business which is a, which is a way to improve myself and having a different group of people to, you know, quote, test yourself and a bunch of really, really smart people. I mean, you've got you know, people right. like Val Camillo and Brendan Donahue and John Abamondi, um, Matt Goodman. I mean, you Brad Sims and you have just a Ben Gumper, just an unbelievable amount of talent that was built up there through years of, of Scott O'Neill and Chris Granger and, and Amy Brooks and being able to throw yourself in there and, and hopefully add some value and, and bring it, bring things to the table to that group at the time was something that, um, you know, I, I really relished and, and didn't want to shy away from. Absolutely. And as you're traveling around and meeting with some of the top executives and owners and, and you know, current people on this structure, on the staff size, whether it be salespeople or, or leadership, what are some key characteristics you just always saw that said, you know what, this is, these are the next best superstars or they've got what it takes? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. You know, I, I think they're the, you know, these things tend to tend to become cliche. So I try to add one to you at the end. But there is some sort of a deep burning desire within specific people that then shows itself. It displays itself in certain ways. And those ways are done then consistently over time. You know, anybody can, can show a great work, that work ethic and a good attitude and have success for a day or a week for a month. Can you do it for a year? Can you do it for two years? Can you do it for three years? Do you bring it every day? Does it permeate through your staff? Is it something that you know, your bosses recognize. And that's, there's a consistency to that. And it's, it's that consistency in that purpose that, that really, I think, makes the, makes the best stand out. Um, I also think that the best leaders have a keen sense of self-awareness and the best, the best young staff have a keen sense of self-awareness. They're constantly looking at, you know, what is their, what is their environment and how can they bring value to that environment? What is, what is it that, their bosses and their peers need from them to make the overall enterprise successful. And then they're, they're trying to deliver that and having a, a very active feedback model, not working in darkness or isolation, but having, having an environment where you're consistently speaking to your peers and your boss to try to bring more value. No, absolutely. Jeff, throughout all your successes and hard work, you're always certainly able to have that work-life balance. You spend time with your wife and two kids. You know, what is your magic solution or advice for that work-life balance? Oh, it's failing a lot, man. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I like to, I don't, I don't want to be, this is, this is um, not a success, right? Like it's, it's a lot of bumps and it's, yep. it's a lot of, you know, bad moments and, and, you know, tough, tough days and, and weeks and months, but it's, I think it's, it's a consistent, um, a consistent mindset and, and having a partner who has the mindset of, you know, we're going to figure it out no matter what through the good and through the bad. And if you have that, if you're working at something, 
just like anything, um, it gets better, right? It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect going forward, but if there's, if you have active participants across the board, it's kids too, right? Then you, then you, you're going to continue to grow. If you give up, then it's going to go backwards, right? So that's, you know, when you have, um, you know, a couple really good careers and, and busy people, uh, you have to have a, a firm commitment to, to do it. And it's, you know, the, the failures is what makes the, you know, the, the success better. It helps a better day-to-day plan. And it's being able to communicate um, and, and share, you know, what's, you know, what you're happy with and what you're not and being able to make adjustments going forward. That is, that is the key. And there's not, there's not rocket science. It's, you know, working too much and, and working too hard is, is a thing. Um, and that, that brings in, you, know, you bring your work home in a bad way or a good way. You turn off your phone, you have quality time with people, or you don't, right? Like these are choices that um, if you make the correct one and understand that your job and, you, and your work life will still carry on, you can have a better balance on the other side. No, absolutely. You, you mentioned, Jeff, there, you know, your wife, Laura, she's a golf pro. So I, I got to ask, how's your golf game? Terrible. <laughs> consistent. I'm, I'm consistent in a lot of ways, and I'm, I'm consistently terrible. I've never – so I played with some buddies last Friday. I think I shot 102. Um, and uh, I actually hit the ball pretty well. And, um, you know, I told them I've never worked on something. In the pandemic, being home and working in East Coast Day, I've had a chance to 4 or 5 o'clock in the summer, my time, be able to go to the range or play right. nine holes. And, you know, it's, it's one of those funny things where I've shown promise. I've had a bunch of nine hole scores in the 40 to 45 range, made a number of birdies, swings gotten better, then it falls off a cliff. Back. <laughs> so it's, um, it's a constant battle, but I'm not going to give up on it. You can see actually my paraphernalia back here. I was going to say, you got a couple clubs so, sitting there, you know, while you're, yeah. while you're on some calls, maybe practicing. I think, I know you're an author now. I think my book is going to be hacking my way through the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, golf, I've always said, is like one of those sports you just can't like pick up and be good at. Like, I feel like I'm fairly athletic. No. I get on the golf course and it's like, oh, this is miserable. Yeah. yeah and I, I tell people too, like if I, if I married um, Deanna Tarazi, I, I wouldn't have a good jump shot, right? So just <laughs> because I married a golf pro. You know, right. I would, you know, I don't, um, you know, I don't normally, I don't naturally do it. I am. There's not kids, that direct correlation. Our kids are starting to swing though. So there's a, there's a factor. There's a, I'm driven by a lack of future embarrassment to at least get down into consistently getting down into the mid eighties. I'm, I'm, I'm about a 22, 23 handicap now. So I'm closer to 97 to 105. Yep. And I, you know, I've shown promise, but I need to, I need to put a little more work in. Well, here in a couple of years, that'll be exciting to see that that family scramble go on. I can yeah. see it a pretty yeah, competitive my, competitive out there on the golf course. My, my side will be the loser, I'm sure. So <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be up. You know, everyone needs to eat a little humble pie. There it is. Well, Jeff, this has been great. Ton of great advice. Certainly fun to hear about your journey on both the team and and now the the new side with Seat Geek. So to close it out, I'd like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Ready. All right, perfect. Jeff, what would be your superpower? And why? Oof. Um, my superpower and why? Um, I, I'd say my, my superpower is my resiliency. So I, I um, you know, I, I've had, it hasn't been a straight line. You know, this job hasn't been a straight line in practice. And you, you take a lot of inbound throughout your career. Yep. It's, and you get knocked down, get up and keep going. And my, um, you know, what I, what I found is that my resiliency, the ability to have, you know, be bulletproof and have things bounce off of me. That's, that would be my superpower and keep going forward. I've got a, you know, maybe I'll send you a picture. I've got a, a big picture frame in front of me 
it's of a turtle going down a long road into a mountain that's miles and miles long, and it says forward across the middle of it. And every time there's there's um, a bad day or a bad moment, you know, I look up at that and I see the turtle and I see the big forward sign. And that's, you know, you make a choice. You're either gonna you're gonna crumble and go in your shell, or you're gonna go forward. And that's that's what I've, I'm choosing to do. Yeah, you've got to keep moving along. No, great great <laughs> advice. Jeff, I know you, you do some binge watching from time to time. Love uh, it. So, so TV shows on Netflix. So, like, if you were to be, you know, an actor, uh, which is probably not that far-fetched, you can probably get there. Uh, I, I mean, what? I think most people most people see that I would be Brad Pitt, of course, right? <laughs> of course, There's obviously. Things, like, similarities. That's, that's a ton of similarities. <laughs> so if, if you were to be on a TV show, what show would you love to be on? Oh, I'd love to be the next generation of the Punisher, Frank Castle. <laughs> Come on, right? I mean, going on a going on a vendetta for for the ultimate good and having a flawed character, I, w- I would certainly certainly be the um, the Punisher. Punisher. Um, you know, I, I uh, binge watching is my uh, is my vice. I would tell you that right now. So, what are I, some that you're watching right now? So right now, I'm trying to finish up Homeland. We okay. started me and the wife. I started Lucifer. It's kind of cheesy, but but pretty good. Um, I, I just finished up season two though of The Boys on Amazon Video. And I, I just think I would recommend that to everybody. It's it's super graphic, but it's, it's growing up in this superhero era and yeah. having the anti superheroes and, and like a, a unbelievable villain like the Homelander is just great. Two seasons. Well, coming soon, you know Jeff Ionello, the Punisher. Yeah, or or I'll that. be the oldest. I'll be the oldest member of the Cobra Kai in season <laughs> four. I, I just I find it's just fascinating like and I love I, I've I found great joy in the in the first two seasons of of Cobra Kai Cobra Kai so I, I nice. know Murphy so well, after after your acting career is over you then move on to to become a, a late night talk show host who do you invite yeah. as your first guest oh you right <laughs> I'm bringing, I'm, you're bringing me on so I've got a goes goes around comes around right yeah, I'm, I'm, you're bringing me on, so I have to I have to bring you on. No, I I would um um my first guest. So I I have um you know I, I think it would be Adam Silver. It would have to be right. I mean I love yeah. that guy so much. It's uh um I think he's done such an amazing job. There's so many great stories and lessons that he could that he could do, and it's it's somebody that the world knows. So it's a it's a recognizable. Yep. It's a recognizable character. I would bring up. I also would would probably my second guess would be Ryan Holiday. I don't know if you've know, read any of his work. The you know, ego is the enemy. The Daily Stoic. The obstacles the way. He has a podcast, probably not as popular as yours, but he <laughs> yeah. has a podcast and a, a few books out. Um, but I I would suggest anybody listen to him. You're going to find great lessons on just how you stay in the present and listen and, and mm-hmm. act day to day. So those would be the first two the first two people I'd bring up. Awesome. And, and Jeff, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes and have such a successful career path like you've had? Find a purpose. Um, that purpose could change. Always be identifying that purpose, but but find it and, and move towards it. Um, no one's going to do it for you. Have, you know, have the idea of personal responsibility, own your career and go forward. And, and then have a great sense of, of self-awareness of of what you're doing and what's happening around you and what's important to you and make adjustments in your career and life based on that. 
No, could, couldn't agree more. Having that purpose, taking the responsibility, and being self-aware to continue to strive to be elite. So, and, and yeah. read Travis Apple's new book. Yeah, there, there you go. The, the subtle plug. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. You've had a great career, an SPJ 40 under 40 winner. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I certainly appreciate your time and expertise. Thanks so much, Travis. I appreciate you having me. Thanks again. This is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.